2: Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he gets mad salty when I make him sacrifice all of his creatures to the graveyard. It's Matt Morgan. So, Joey, my friend just got a job at an elevator company.
0: He was really excited because he said there's a lot of room to move up in the company.
2: I, you know what? That sounds like a job that has its ups and downs, Matt. It does. It does. Does he get a raise every five minutes?
0: Yeah, but then he has to go down. He has to go down, too. So it's
2: (laughs) it evens out. Uh, uh, Next, he's the guy who makes me mad salty whenever he exiles Matt's graveyard. So I can't steal all of those delicious creatures with
3: reanimation. That's Dana Roach. In in a couple of weeks here, we're going to have the second Magic Fest online. Um, So that should be a lot of fun. And it's going to be just as good as being able to go to Magic Fest Vegas that weekend. It's going to be just as good as I would have been. And I'm going to just keep telling myself that over and over. It's (laughs) going to be just as good. Oh, you're breaking my heart, but I hope that I, it is going to be good. You know what? It'll be fun. That, it'll be
2: fun. Determination makes it real. Anyway, this <laughs> is the EDH Recast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, we like to give all that data a little more context. Ladies, gents, and everyone in between, we are joined this week by a terrific guest. He is here to help us keep it casual. It's Shivam Bhatt. Hello. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Hi, Shivam. It's so good to have you on. Who are you? How are you? How is it going? Well, I mean, all things considered, life is pretty great. Uh, (laughs) I mean, uh, it's funny. I've been playing more paper magic now than I have in the months leading before (laughs) quarantines because of, you know, Discord and digital, like, playing over the uh, interwebs. Um, But yeah, otherwise, uh, I'm great, and I'm very happy to be here on this uh, saltiest of days. (laughs) <laughs> salty days, indeed.
2: That is going to be our main topic. We are talking about all of the uh, the salty stuff going on in EDH. EDH Rec has had the salt scores that we measured by uh, polling the community to see the cards that maybe they don't like very much. Um, but now we've sort of redone them. We've done that polling again, and we want to see if there are any new results, so we will be talking about that. But uh, real quick, before we actually get into our main topic, even we want to get to know you a little bit better, um, especially... All of your awesome content that you're putting out there, really quick, let the listeners know where they can find all the stuff that you're up to.
1: Well, um, I post a lot on Twitter, as you guys all know. Um, I'm at Gear Gears and I do a lot of conversation about uh, con- Commander and casual Commander especially. But I'm also, you know, one of the few diehard defenders of the CEDH community. I don't know how that happened. It is not the way I like to play, but it is the definitely the way I like to support people playing. And uh, every week I put out a podcast called Casual Magic. And uh, you can find it everywhere podcasts are sold. And it, generally it's me pontificating about whatever I feel like. But also, you know, editorial content and a lot of interviews. Basically, it's been mainly interviews. And it's just like grab a content creator. Come on and chat for something that they don't get to talk about on their channels. And it's a good time. Awesome. Well, Shivam, uh, what's your, you know, you
0: said you get to play more now that we're in, you know, the times that we're in. Uh, What is your favorite deck that you've been playing lately or your favorite commander? Are you building any decks right now?
1: So one of the biggest problems I'm running into is that my favorite deck is Hapatra. And Hapatra is a deck that involves me putting a lot of minus one, minus one counters on things and spreading a lot of tokens around and doing a whole lot of things that are not conducive to play over camera right like i have to ask yeah. people to put tokens on their things i it's a lot to keep track of there's a whole lot of like manipulation going on that's easy to do at a table and hard to do over digital so i've tried to refocus my decks to being more playing in my space as opposed to playing in your space so it's like i mean l- less interaction is kind of my style of play anyways so it just works out better that um i've just been focusing more on like my voltronny type decks like i've been playing a lot of my uh, enchantress build with uh, um, Tuvasa and like titania with just sacrificing trees and alpha striking and uh, like i'm right now i'm working on a corvald deck just because i've always wanted to build an a corvald uh, aristocrats deck it's just that i'm like 8 months late to that train and everybody already hates corvald <laughs> but <laughs> But it's like you know what? Look, it's on rails. It's dumb. It's big. It wins really fast. It's super powerful. But I'm also the type of person who will deliberately uh, shaft my own playstyle so that other people get to play. So like, I, I I like to say that my style is playing the most powerful broken cards in the fairest way possible. <laughs> so um, I end up with like I'll have this Corval deck and it'll win, but it's going to be not it it's going to be despite me not because of me <laughs>
2: Fair. i like that description a whole lot. well and
1: i think you're you're
0: definitely not alone in finding out there's a lot of cards that you have in decks uh, that you don't realize are so bad to play over webcam games have uh, all- you
1: ever tried to play gaunty over the web <laughs> no
3: <laughs> yeah woof hard hard pass well, it's interesting, Shivam, You have been doing this show, Casual Commander. Now, how far are you in forty episodes or so? I'm I'm at uh, twenty seven or twenty. So. Okay, um, but most like there's a lot of content out there right now for for Commander, and most of it in, in some way tries to lean at least a little bit into you know this is good for your deck. This is how you can optimize this play. And interestingly enough, you've gone very much the opposite direction. You've leaned into Casual, it's right there in the name. What was the inspiration for for targeting that kind of niche?
1: Okay, so here's the thing, right? Like, I've been playing Magic for 26, 27 years, something like that. Um, one of the things is, when you look at content that is created for Magic, almost all of it is always very heavily, like, it's created by Spikes for Spikes. And it means it's like, because the people who want to read content stuff, they want to read deck lists, they want to look at, like, You know, the way that, like, how can I win this week? Or what's the best way I can do it? How's the best way I can use my money to make an awesome deck? Or, like, what are the cool expensive combos? Or how can I... You know, they want to make the best possible thing they can to win. I'm not that player. I've never cared about winning. I mean... It's cool to win. I'm not going to say it's not cool to win. But my whole philosophy of Commander is I want to sit down. I want to have a good time for a couple hours with my friends. I'm a dad with a full-time job, so I don't get a lot of time to sit and play with my friends. So being able to sit there and have maximize that two, three-hour window where I can sit and just jam a fun time matters a lot to me. And because of that, and I realized that, like, Though The podcast I was on before, Commanderin, that also leaned very heavily casual, but it was also much more focused on cards and decks and things like that. And I was like, that's even still, like, I like the culture of Magic and the attitude surrounding it and, like, the why people play and the what you want to get out of playing. I don't necessarily care what the best fungal spawn is or what the best way to, like, cast a fireball is. you know, Like, that's great, and sometimes cards are cool, but I would much rather find out, like... I I want to hold down for the kitchen table, right? Like, I want to be able to be the person who said, "Like Mahomodi Jin is the coolest card I own, and I want to play it in a fun way." That person deserves just as much content as I need to know how to win on turn two point five every time, or I'm going to lose.
2: That's uh, that it's hilarious that you bring up Mahomodi Jin. Um, I, we were uh, listening a short while ago to your guest appearance on the Color of Magic podcast with uh, <laughs> with Daekwon and Brian, and you brought up a story where you like. Hardcore went into Mana Rock, Mana Rock, Soul Ring on oh, your yeah. first turn and dropped a Mahamodi Jin on turn one. It's just like, wait, that's what you did with your six mana on the first turn? Um, and it was just such a, a great listening experience, both to hear like the awesome casual, uh, you know, like, yeah, we're doing this stuff that we love to feel these great things, but also because it's such a valuable show uh, to get a, a good perspective that uh, the community really, really needs. And so it was just a great listening experience, both for the Mahamodi Jin stories and of course, <laughs> everything
1: else. I mean, look... I'll play Brea, right? Brea is an obviously well-known broken combo commander, and every time I win with Brea, it was accidental because somebody pointed out that I had a combo on the table I didn't see, <laughs> right? Like, like it's always like, you know, I'll put out something like, okay, Soul Ring, Monocrypt, and they're like, oh god, here it comes, and I'm like, Reckless Fireweaver, and they're like, oh no, here it comes, and I'm like, Ornithopter, and they're like, what? Ornithopter, <laughs> and I'm like, now i have got to attack you for one, what? what why eh, eh, it's cool yeah but you have like the the you know the eldrazi bounty guy you can do th- i'm like yeah, i could but i don't want the game to be over <laughs> like, Yeah, we we, we want to play magic to feel things for sure yeah i mean look if i get an infinite combo it is the coolest thing ever if you get an infinite combo it is still the coolest thing ever i just want to i want everybody to leave the table feeling like something awesome happened. Like they felt good about the time they spent together. I want people to sit there and say like, you know what, man, I could have been doing anything with those two hours. I don't get a lot of time away. And I'm really glad I chose to spend it with you dudes, right? Like that is a feeling that I want out of commander. So if that means I have to like take a hit so that you can feel good about winning, I'll do that. Cause it'll make everybody's time better. By the way, guys, as much as it's fun to talk about me, uh, I feel like you, you might have forgotten something as part of your podcast.
2: We, we, we kind of did forget something. We, of course, uh, are sponsored by some really amazing sponsors and uh, we want to give some really big thanks, but Sheevan, we're just so enamored with your presence that we completely <laughs> forgot to thank them. Uh, so let's do that real quick. Uh, we want to give a huge thank you to Josh Lequai and the folks at the Command Zone podcast. They handle all of the post-production work on the podcast to make it look as spiffy as it does and to bring it to you in this awesome video format. Um, we really, we're sorry for delaying the thank you, but we really, really do appreciate you guys. And we, of course, really appreciate our sponsors. So let's make sure that we acknowledge them too. Well,
0: sponsors, as always, are CardKingdom.com and TCGPlayer.com. If you like any of the cards that we're going to talk about today, you maybe shouldn't play them too often, but (laughs) if you want to get a copy of them, uh, you can go to CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to support the show directly, or you can click on one of the TCG Player price links on the webpage, same for Card Kingdom. That'll take you right to your website of choice. You can purchase any of these cards and you directly support the show. So CardKingdom.com and TCGPlayer.com are amazing sponsors. What what you could
3: do, you you could defensively buy them so no one else can play them in games. (laughs) Wow. Moving the market.
2: Good lord, Dana. All right, let's get into our main topic now. We want to talk about the saltiest cards in Commander, the cards that... You know, make us feel things, but not always the good things. And this is a page that EDHREC has had for a while. We talked about it on our episode 100, and we were getting, you know, sort of reacquainting with the basics of the website. The salt scores are a really cool tool to help you see the cards that maybe people don't like playing against as much. And we had them, I think the polling originally ran in April of 2019, but we want to keep that updated and especially to see if anything has changed. And so that's what we'll be talking about here. Let's compare the old list to the new list. As a quick reminder, all of these are on a scale from 0 to 4, where 0 is like, nah, that's not really bad doesn't make me feel there's no salt at all uh whereas four is like the salt planet from star wars eight like it's just (laughs) like ooh, that one makes it kind of burn um and the uh we had like 500,000 responses on the uh, previous salt score, but now we've got over 650,000 responses uh, to do all of this polling. So we've got some new lists, which we're excited to get to, but first let's actually talk about the old list and see where we were a little while ago and sort of reacquaint ourselves with that. Matt, do you mind starting us off? What are some of the highest, most salt inducing cards that we had in EDH track back on our old list from 2019?
0: Well, the, the salty cards, the McCormick of, of cards, if you will, because they're very well seasoned. Uh, we actually had a tie at the top two so stasis which is that card that just you never get to untap very much ever um it's that blue enchantment it had a salt score of 3.07 um that's a very very high because you're coming out of four um that was actually tied with the white land destruction classic armageddon to blow up all the lands so the top two cards making sure you don't get to use very much mana in the game um combined they're in almost nine thousand decks together so or not together, but apart, uh, so that it seems that players don't like it when you mess with their lands. Well, you guys, I mean, you guys surely love casting spells. So, what do you think about seeing these two cards at the top?
2: No surprises.
1: I think actually, you do a disservice by not including the third one. Winter Orb, which is the card that says you can't untap more than one land during your untap phase. Because I think Stasis, Armageddon, and Winter Orb are effectively the same card. They are a card that says you don't get to play magic. Your time was wasted. Your afternoon was wasted. That one hour you blocked off very preciously, that time you took to go to your friend's house or the store or anywhere to sit down and be able to play a game, because God knows you've been doing so much work and you've got this quarantine and you've got like your kids at home... <laughs> You get to go down and you sit down and the first thing your friend does is, you know what, island uh, mocks diamond stasis, and then you're just done. Well, and, and they, they keep you from playing magic, but they do it in a
3: way that doesn't necessarily allow your opponent it to win the li- game quickly. <laughs> Right. You sit there and, and they probably, if someone's casting Stasis or Armageddon or Winter Orb, they probably have a way to break parody, but it's not a 100% parody break short of Archangel Avicen or something, or an- Avacyn Angel of Hope or something. For the most part, they just have an advantage and they're going to eke that advantage out over the course of multiple turns and just grind you down into salty dust. Man, I, I just, I'm still kind of
2: reeling from the amazing monologue that she just oh. had there. Oh, I <laughs> like have when I'm...
1: thought, my friend. <laughs>
2: I'm going to go back and listen to that part of the episode a whole lot when this episode comes out. I,
0: say, I feel like Shivam, of all people, is, is going to be the one to sit down with the Grand Arbiter Augustine deck and, and play Stasis Ooh. and Armageddon. All those <laughs> oh, just no. super bitter oh, please cards, please no. right?
2: I I really hope not. <laughs> I
1: hate blue-white so much.
2: Uh, Curiously, we did also have some cards on the uh, top lists of our old salt score that were actually banned. Leovold showed up as number four, and Iona Shield of Emeria showed up as number five, both with salt scores of 2.95 and 2.94. Even though they uh, are banned, Iona obviously became banned after the fact, but we still had them showing up as cards that people really don't necessarily like playing against. Probably owing to the fact that one of them says you don't get to have guards in hand and the other one says you don't get to play magic.
3: I'm sorry. See the same thing is happening with, with, with those two cause because Leovold is never just Leovold, it's Leovold and Windfall. It, it, it's it's right. it's some way to to empty your hand out while filling someone else's up so you're just stuck top decking. Um you know, I, Iona obviously is a problem and I, I would, I bet Shivam can talk about that a little bit more since I think he was on the um, CAG at the time that was banned. But those are two cards like that, that again, just make it so when you're playing magic, you don't get to play magic.
1: Yeah, like I, I, I will very openly say that I was the one who brought Iona to the attention of the uh, rules committee right when the CAG was formed and it's been one of my pet like cards to get rid of out of magic for ever let's say. And so, uh, I'm very proud and very, very, uh, able to strongly support the banning of Iona shield of Maria as literally one of the worst cards ever printed in magic. One of the most destructive cards ever printed in magic, because this card says, choose a color. Your opponents don't get to play any spells of that color right now in a multiplayer game. What that means is that. The kid who walks in the door with their first ever monocolored precon deck, sits down to play, you pull out Iona, you look at the table and you're like, okay, I'm just going to name green. This kid's looking at his green deck, suddenly doesn't get to play. Everybody else got multicolored decks and they're looking around they're like, okay, you know what? I'll deal with not being able to play green for a while until I kill that player. This player maybe doesn't have the political will or the stats or the score or the ability to say, you know what? hey guys, can you help me out? Can you maybe somebody kill Iona so I can join in? They can't, I mean, yes, they can rage quit and leave, but maybe they paid to be there. Maybe they're sitting down and they don't get a chance to play commander. Maybe they're never going to play commander again because the one time they got to play commander, they got locked out of the frigging game not that i have strong opinions about iona (laughs) i'm just saying this card is absolutely one of the worst cards ever printed i mean look it's fine in single player play it in your queue play it in vintage ruin somebody's life you're okay you signed up to get your life ruined when you sat down to play vintage right like you know what's Ah. happening when you're playing edh you're here to play you're here to enjoy this is a social experience iona is an anti-social card it is a horrendous card it's a heinous card it is absolutely I'm so glad that I was able to convince the other people to ban this card and remove it.
2: But Shiva, it wasn't even in the top decks of the format, and it wasn't even in that many I decks. I don't give a form.
1: crap where it was. This is and a card that shouldn't have been printed. It shouldn't be in Magic, let alone in the top decks, bottom decks, or side decks.
3: That's a yes. good point, though, Joe. I, I think it wasn't necessarily that huge of a problem, but it also doesn't add anything to the game. Like, having right. it gone just makes things better even if you rarely saw it because it's not like one of those cards where you can say yeah but occasionally it's super fun it just is never fun it's nothing but a bad time and having it gone is all
1: positive have you ever seen a turn two iona reanimated and thrown into the table that's just like what like what okay great you got an iona (laughs) congratulations now i'm just gonna sit here and do nothing
2: yeah that's that's exactly it with the salt scores like magic is in one-on-one games like your opponent's fun you're trying to beat them that's fine but in a commander game we are all searching for a resonant experience and these are cards that specifically will take out a a section of enjoyment for certain categories of of players and for especially like individual people like hey you on the mono green deck you just don't get to play anymore like that just decreases fun overall even if it isn't like a power thing it is just we want to have a good time and so yeah these are definitely some cards that uh here's
1: the thing right like and I don't want to harp on just as one card because it's already banned, right? The The main thing is this, is that uh, this card, even if it doesn't show up in so many decks, because is an argument that people brought up, like, nobody's thought about Iona in years. I'm like, yeah, but the times it does show up, it is a net negative. Right. And a card shouldn't be a net negative.
2: Well, so curiously, I wonder then what you'll think about the next couple of cards that show up on the top 10 of our old <laughs> salt list. Because... Number six was Expropriate, which, as folks probably know, gives you stuff and extra turns. So that's a positive, right? There was also Vorinclex, which doubles your mana. I mean, it also halves everyone else's mana because they don't get to uh, attack their lands. But, you know, it doubles your mana. And then number eight was Time Stretch, which gives you more turns. And those registered as really, really salt-inducing cards with scores of, like, 2.91 and 2.87 and stuff like that. Like, those are clearly nothing but net positives, right? Because they give you extra stuff.
1: I hate all three of these cards so much. (laughs) (laughs) but here's the thing I'm I'm not going to like go on a rant about it expropriate one of those cards I've tried to get the RC to move on and they're like look it's a billion mana to cast whatever game's got to end I think it's just kind of an insulting card because it ends it in a really miserable way but the problem is like time stretch is an interesting one right because it lets you take two extra turns as opposed to a lot of the take one extra turn cards The reason time stretch is irritating to me is not necessarily because, oh, this player gets to play more. It's that it's not the person next to you. It's a person two seats down from you who has now had to wait like an hour before their next turn comes around again, right? Like that is just, that feels to me just unfair and like uh, disrespectful of this person's time. I I think it's it's kind
0: of a good way to categorically describe the entire salt list as so many of these cards just lead to what the typical player would probably consider an unpleasant play experience. It's just taking away either time, um, being able to play, like like you said, you know, people like to play their cards, and a lot of these cards are preventing you from doing that in some way.
1: Yeah,
3: I, I think the the other thing about, and absolutely, these very much fall into the same category as a first five, where it's keeping you from playing Magic. In the case of time Threat and expropriate by letting someone else play multiple turns while you just sit there, but functionally it's the same thing. The additional thing about expropriate and time stretch I think, that adds some salt is there's that feeling that everything in the game prior to that point in time ceased to to matter to a degree. Mm-hmm. Someone top-decked the Expropriate, and they just say, okay, now I win because I had the mana free, and I top-decked this card. I think you have the, the, the factor of not playing, which feels bad, and you're adding in the factor that it's a card that wins the game because you put it in your deck.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Let's round out our top 10 old salt cards with numbers 9 and 10.
3: Dana, what do we got going on there? Number 9, we have uh, Cyclonic Rift, a card that I don't think anyone anywhere is at all shocked to see show up on this list. <laughs> and number 10, um, Jocola Hops. I think I said that wrong because no one has ever pronounced it correctly. Yoke-a-lops. Um And that's an old card from way back in Ice Age, I believe, that, what do you know, destroys lands along with, I think, everything in play but
1: Planeswalkers. Artifacts, Creatures, and Lands. Yep. Fun! It actually leaves enchantments. Oh, it does, okay. Pretty cool. There we go.
2: Oh, man. Yeah, so we've got a lot of the commonalities there. Cyclonic Rift has definitely been one that's just like... Uh, it, that is one of those cards that makes like a... Ah, uh, man. But at the same time, like... I don't know. That, that might be, I think, for me, the most contentious uh, one that appears on this list. Like, I get the, the momentary feeling of, oh, man, but I almost had it. We're just like, ah, oh, this again, because it happens in a lot of the games. But I don't know that it necessarily evokes the exact same emotion as a lot of the other cards that we're seeing on this list. Like, I'm not going to have an Iona Shivam rant about Cyclonic Rift.
1: Not really, because, like, for me, Rift is one of those cards that's almost like... I feel like it has a much more negative reputation than the card deserves. I feel like a lot of it is, at this point, just it's customary for us to hate on Cyclonic Rift. Like, <laughs> oh, you're an EDH player. Here's your, like, you know, 100 card sleeves, and here's your I hate Cyclonic, you know, badge. It's a, It feels kind of just like, like, performative hate at this point because the card is, look, the card is only bad if you play it wrong in the sense of, like, I wipe the board, but I don't have a win. If you wipe everybody's board and then have the win right after, it's not really different than any other, like, Crater hoofy type deal. But, like, Cyclonic having that single target ability is really, really good, and I've used it far more for the single targetness than for the wipe everybody's table. But, I don't know. I mean... It to me is just like it's an annoying card because it's a setback, but it's because it's a one-sided setback in that it wrecks wrecks everybody but the caster. The caster should have the chance to be able to close out the game, so it doesn't like torture it out as long. I don't know. I've I've come a long way on cyclonic. I used to be a super hater, and now I'm just kind of like indifferent. And I feel like if we took it away, the community would be really sad. They would be like, "What do we?" What what are we going to do? Where's our mascot? <laughs> <laughs> the, the
3: weird thing about Rift for me is I feel like if tomorrow it was announced that Rift was banned, I would be delighted to remove it from any of my decks where I have it and would be overjoyed to pl- never have to see it again in a game. And if you asked me to be the one deciding vote on whether or not it got banned, I <laughs> don't know if I could justify banning it. Like, I would love to see it gone, and I don't think I could pull the trigger on saying it doesn't. It shouldn't be in the game.
0: That's exactly it. Well, and I think also the, the fact that there are over 90,000 decks on EDA Trek that are playing Cyclonic Rift, I'm sure there have been plenty of opportunities for people to play and have Cyclonic Rift, you know, end those games like Shivam was talking about, just because there's so many out there. And it's not a cheap card either, so I'm sure there's some sort of feeling of buying wins, because, you know, it is it is very, very powerful, and it's very, very popular. It's, it's all over the
2: place. It absolutely is. So now that we've looked at some of the older cards um, that were, you know, among the top salt list, I kind of want to ask actually about any cards that make us maybe a little bit salty. Like we just said, oh, we can be maybe uh, we're, we're Cyclonic Rift apologists possibly. But what are some cards that weren't on that list or that we didn't see on the old uh, high salt scores that do kind of get under our skin a little bit? That when we see them across the table, we do have that ah kind of moment what are some cards that hop into your guys's minds when you start thinking about the salty cards but not the ones that we just talked about what's going on there
1: do you mind if i join in <laughs> i really? realize i've Go been for talking for, for quite a bit but boy howdy do i have something that nobody ever talks about that makes me super salty
2: uh, yeah, I mean, uh, whenever I listen to you on, on your show, it's always cards that you really, really enjoy. So I love getting the hot takes from Steven about the cards that he doesn't like. <laughs> very much. I'm
1: absolutely here for it. Okay, so the card that currently is my biggest bugaboo in magic, the card that makes me hate magic the most is Torment of Hailfire. Yes. Torment of Hailfire from Hour of Devastation, the X in two black that says repeat the following X times. Each player loses three life unless they sack a non-land permanent or discard a card. Now, why would this make me mad? It's not that bad, right? Well, because this is almost always a game-ender, right? Like, everybody knows, okay, I'm going to cast a Torment Hellfire for a million. It's over. The problem is this card gives people a false hope because every <laughs> time you cast it, Somebody at the table is going to sit there and stare at their cards and sweat and do the whole shenanigans of like, maybe if I sack this and I sack this and I discard my whole hand, I might be able to live through. It is an utterly torturous and miserable feeling. And by and large, the game is over, but our consciousness, our id will not allow us I mean, our egos will not allow us to concede at that point because there's always a chance that we might be able to find a way out of that hailfire. But it is so demoralizing. And you get up from the table and you're like, what did I do? Why did I just waste all that time playing this game? If you're just going to sit and make like torture me for the last two minutes so that you can win. Couldn't you have just like exsanguinated or something for the same mana and just drain my life, called it a day. We can shuffle up and start over because torment leaves you with such a terrible taste in your mouth that you don't want to play anymore. And that to me is just like an offensive card. It is like so, I mean, look, it's thematically perfect, right? It's flavorful. It's absolutely, I mean, but I hate it because it makes you hate the game. <laughs> it may, anything that makes somebody want to get up and not play Commander anymore is an offensive card to me. And Tormund Aelfire is like a number one on that list.
2: All right. I've, I've got another one here that kind of gets under uh under my skin maybe a little bit that I am very curious for your thoughts on, Cheven, because a card <laughs> that was only in 38th place on our previous assault scores, that is Void Winnower. It only had a salt score of 2.1. This is the 9-mana 11-7, I think, that says your opponents can't even. They can't cast even <laughs> mana-cost spells. Like, going off of the Iona conversation, where that also shuts down people's abilities to play Magic, how do you feel about Void Winnower?
1: The weird thing is, and, like, I feel like this might sound a little hypocritical, Void Winnower is such a weirdo card that when it comes down, I don't feel the same, like, just malice that I do when I see an Iona come in. Because this one is like a puzzle. You're like, okay, well, what can I play? What can I do? like what suddenly doesn't work anymore cuz it changes the way the game is into being this like okay how do i deal with this card and it's irritating it's frustrating but it's not like i don't hate it i'm just like oh you know what okay now i got to figure out how do i work around this iona is just like a, anything i have to work around i can't right like why well, can't sort to the plowshare they called white you know um like void winner is just one of those like well that's a silly card but let's see what we can do it it's worded in a way that just makes it a little bit nicer.
2: I feel like, to the specificity of Iona, like, hey, you in specific don't get to play Magic, right. whereas Void and Wynwer is like a collective puzzle. Mm-hmm. I think that also probably helps. Matt, what is a card that maybe you don't like as much that sort of makes you feel a little bit salty?
0: So I'm of the same ilk that Shivam's coming from, and my cards are going to be cards that kind of give you a false sense of hope that you're going to be able to come back in the game. That is going to be of Erebos, and it's... Uh, Kissing cousin, grave packed, and just those types of stacks effects that directly affect the board and and what people are able to do. They just feel so hard to get out from under. They're hard to interact with, and especially I've seen newer players get so discouraged because mm-hmm. they haven't. They're not able to play any cards because somebody has. Uh, some Eldrazi token producers, so they can just sacrifice the spawn, trigger that. Maybe they're playing Shatter Gang Brothers or, or some other just stacksy type commander, maybe not with mana, but with what you're able to do on the board. So dictative Erebos and Grave Pact effects, just whenever they sacrifice a creature, everybody else has to. Newer players typically come into the game knowing about combat damage and, and winning through creatures. Um, because you know it takes a little bit more card knowledge to do some combo-y type th- interactions. So especially for newer players, whenever I see somebody playing Grave Pact effects against them, I it, it's very discouraging to see. It's just a terribly unfun play pattern to, to play against. And, and when Benny Smith was on the podcast, uh, he and I, we hit it off because these are the types of cards that I take out of my decks because I don't even like playing them myself.
2: Well... I'm not taking them out of mind specifically I know because not. we play on stream, <laughs> and I'm gonna enjoy watching you get riled up by it. That's that's fine. It's it it's one of those things.
0: It's kind of like Iona, where there's so many people that they they're not able to get out from some of these situations with these types of cards, and I think those in general um, are ones that I I don't like seeing, especially when you're playing with newer players.
3: All right, Dana, what about you? Um, so uh, I hate wheels. I I just always hate wheels. And the reason why is I think most players are really, really bad at using them. Now, I don't mean you, the listener out there. You're great. You know how to use them right every time in the perfect situation. It's those other people. You know who I'm talking about that will cast a what? wheel when someone else has a smothering tithe out or when everyone's everyone's down to one card and they're at six and they're like, I'm going to wheel a fortune to draw one more card and everyone gets a full hand. It, I just feel like it's it's the kind of card that like, totally throws off the balance of the game when played wrong. And I see them played wrong so, so, so often, or or at least played at times in games when it just throws like all logic and reason to the wind. So it, I, they're absolutely not overpowered. They're, they're really useful cards in some situations. It's just one of those things that when I see one played at a bad time and it just, throws chaos everywhere <laughs> it drives me
1: nuts i take it you're not a fan of reality everwise then um you know i i'm fine with real if you are good at casting your wheels <laughs> like if you're using them to an effect that doesn't bother me at
3: all but i've just seen a lot of ones that basically like hand a win to a third party or something okay the maddening.
1: player didn't look at their opponents before saying oh i can right. draw some cards finally yeah
3: we, we, Wheels tend to really like put that tunnel vision on people. Like what does it do for me with no thought of what it does for the rest of the board state? You, you know, what's really fun too, is in
2: response to someone playing a random wheel effect is flashing in an ocean thief so that only I get to draw all the
1: cards. <laughs> oh God, that ocean just thief. Just seems really,
2: really good. <laughs> All right. So those are some of the cards that maybe, you know, make us a little bit salty, but they don't necessarily have very high salt scores, according to our old uh, chart. But now we kind of want to get to the new salt scores. Of course, before we do that, we have to go to our classic segment, Challenging the Stats. There is a lot of data on Trek, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think the cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes we think that they're seeing too little play. So what we'd like to do is challenge those statistics here. Matt, do you mind starting us off this week? What is your challenge the stats?
0: So my challenge this week is going to be for Alenda, the Dusk Rose Dex. That's the Orzhov uh, vampire legend that has a death trigger that got fixed thanks to Shivam and the CAG um, kind of (laughs) instilling the change in that death trigger. I wish I I could say
1: we took credit for that, but no, that was all an RC thing. And fair. I'm just well, really grateful because I wanted to build a Lenda deck really, really badly. Well, I have a challenge for <laughs> I'm, you, I'm then. so
2: happy about this change. I'm, I'm so happy. I really just feel like I need to say that. Like we had an entire episode where all I did was talk nonstop about how excited I am about that death change, but I'm so happy about that change. That is, anyway, Matt, it, I'm sorry. What is your
0: challenge? It is true. Joey did rant about it, but I have a card that I think is a little overplayed and it's a card that we've actually challenged in white decks in general. Uh, Mentor of the Meek is that card. So it's showing up in 11% of all white decks, but it's showing up triple that amount. It's in 30% of all Alenda the Dusk Rose decks out there. Uh, we've talked about this many, many times, um, how basically the, the man investment on a very specific draw source isn't really what you wanna be doing. Now, yes, Alenda does make a lot of tokens, but you're also in black where there's very, very good draw engines already and a lot of creatures that Alinda decks are currently playing don't actually trigger Mentor of the Meek. You have cards like Bloodline Keeper, you have Champion of Dusk, you have a lot of cards that you're playing in those typical decks that aren't going to actually trigger Mentor of the Meek, which it kind of depends on your commander doing those, that specific thing that Alinda likes to do when she dies. I think all of our arguments that we've said before about Mentor of the Meek, how it's just, it's mana intensive, it's a little too specific, it all applies here as well. Yes, it is a very powerful synergy if you have mana to spare, uh, but you may not always have the mana or you may not be you know, having your game plan go as you hoped it would be. I think there's better draw engines you can be playing than Mentor of the Meek.
2: Specifically because Black already has so many ways to draw cards already, and especially mm-hmm. Mentor the Meek would be contradicted by so many of the anthems that a elenda deck can play yeah. that would buff up all of the tokens that it's able to make. Yeah, I don't like Mentor the Meek there, so I totally love that challenge. Uh, Dana, let's move it on to you.
3: Um, so this was sent in on Twitter to me by listener Brian Mueller, who goes by at uh, it's Brian IRL, and this is a perfect card for a challenge of stats for me because it's an old enchantment that nobody plays. Um, the card is Land's Edge from way back in the Legends originally, but I got a reprint in Chronicles, I believe. Um, it's only in 164 decks in EDH Rack, and it should be in more especially and perhaps particularly Reality Everwise. And Land's Edge reads, uh, any player may choose and discard a card from his or her hand at any time. If a player discards a land, Land's Edge deals two damage to target of that player's choice. Um, So occasionally you're going to have an opponent that will be able to discard a land and and kill you when you're down to, you know, four life or something. But like, by and large, in a real deck, you're going to be able to just turn every land that you don't need into another card because... The way Riel works, when you discard a card, you draw a card, and you have the ability to then turn those into shocks as well. Um, But I think in a Riel deck, even if you didn't turn those lands into shocks, that's probably still a worthwhile effect to be able to just pitch any card you don't want at will and replace it. And the fact that you can deal damage on top of that, as well as to creatures that are a problem or players... It's a really, really, really good card in that deck, and it's not even showing up um, as one of the top cards for Real, not even on the list at all. So it should be in way more decks, particularly if you're playing that commander. That's a really clever one. I'm going to move on to my challenge
2: now. I am looking specifically in the context of a Jarena Kudro deck. Not usually like me to play Mardu humans some more of a graveyard guy, as we all know, but there is a card that I think really needs to show up in more Jarena Kudro decks, and it is a 25-cent common from Eldritch Moon called Repel the Abominable. This is a two-mana instant that says that you prevent all damage that would be dealt this turn by non-human sources. So that includes spells, that includes all of your opponent's creatures, but all of your lovely humans in that deck will still be able to do damage. So this is a way to make them maybe pseudo indestructible in combat. It's just a really good fog that I think is really going to catch your opponents off guard. It's kind of funky, but it only shows up in like 13% of Drina Kudro decks. I'm frankly surprised it wasn't in the Mardu humans pre-con. And I think that you should give it a try if you're looking for some clever ways to play around with Mardu combat human stuff. Uh, that's a fun one to take a look at. Alrighty, let's get back into our main topic. We already took a look at some of the old salt scores, but now let's look at the updated versions again we got over 650,000 responses to this so we're gonna see what some of the new assault scores might be if things have shifted around if some of the same cards still appear high on the list of salty cards matt start us off what are we seeing on our new and improved and updated assault score list
0: well, we're still seeing Stasis at the top. Um, it's 3.1, so it actually moved up a little bit. got a little saltier as time has gone on. Uh, same for Winter Orb. It is now number two. It moved up one spot. Um, coming in at 2.9, it's actually tied, so Expropriate has moved up um, to the top three. Uh, there are a couple cards that did drop down a little bit, um, but Expropriate still at a 2.9, uh, so still a very, very salty card, Um Then also Vornkleck's moved up a little bit as well. So keeping strong in those high 2.7s. And then Yokelhops actually moved up a a few spots as well to tie at 2.7 with Vornkleck's.
2: So a lot of the same cast as last time. Stuff that prevents people from untapping lands and stuff that destroys all of the lands. And why did they make cards that get rid of the resources that we need to cast the spells in this game? I probably won't ever understand that. But yeah, we've seen a couple of cards moving up for sure.
1: Like, if I'm honest with you, four out of the five praetors that came out are basically utterly miserable cards, (laughs) right? Like, between Vorinclex... Like, first off, Vorinclex and Jyn are effectively, like, they're, like, just... They hate... Like, people hate it. Yeah. People hate playing gets Out Two cards. They're miserable, nobody likes it, nobody likes you if you play it. Like, <laughs> uh, Shieldred is bad. Shieldred is really, really frustrating to play against, but it's also kind of like, ah, okay, I guess, but I really hate that card. I think Elish Norn might be the only one that's, like, somewhat okay, and even that card is really, really brutal and really, really killer and kind of ends a game when it comes out. And then there's order Yeah, well... S- because, uh... You have to have five. Well, speaking of
0: of Jinkataxas, actually, Jinkataxas actually is, it moved up quite a bit. It's actually the number seven card right now. So you are right. Like, that's not something that people uh, are ignoring. In fact, they're probably paying more attention to it uh, on the, you know, evidence by it moving up the list
1: so much. It turns out that having zero cards in your hand is not a fun place to be. It turns out. Who would
2: have thought? Yeah, absolutely. Ginkataxius was in 20th place on our previous one, but it has moved up now to 7th place, right behind number 6, Static Orb, uh, which moved from 11th place to 6th place. So they are some newcomers into the top 10. Um, and uh, that experience that you mentioned there, Stephen, definitely seems to be uh, to resonating with, with people here. Um, those aren't as great, and I say this as a person who has reanimated a Gingitaxius on turn two in his Mimiplasm deck before. Anyway, let's finish out the rest of this list. Danny, do <laughs> you want to take that?
3: Well, I, I will just make this note, Joey. I, I do wonder if the rise in Gingitaxius here isn't somewhat linked to the rise in popularity of Muldrotha, uh, mm. a commander that tends to reanimate stuff and does have access to blue. I wonder if people have seen that more as a result of Muldrotha's popularity, mm. and maybe that's what drove that salt score up here a little bit.
1: Interesting, yeah. Frankly, I'm surprised is not on the list. (laughs)
3: Yeah, I I kind of am too at this point. I
1: love that card, but people really don't. (laughs) Yeah. So the
3: last three we have here on our list are Cyclonic Rift, Decree of Annihilation, and Armageddon. Um, You know, Rift we talked about and we did Armageddon as well. Annihilation is another card that blows up lands. I'm sensing a
1: little bit of a trend here. A little bit, indeed. You wonder why Decree of Annihilation jumped up even further? The, is that? The, the
0: new cycling deck, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gabby.
1: Turns out C20 or C21, whatever it is, lets you just uh, cycle Degree of Annihilation for free. And free Freemageddon is better than Armageddon. So... <laughs> that? Uh,
3: yeah.
2: That absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Uh, But an interesting uh, switch there. Armageddon moved down kind of dramatically. It used to have a SALT score of 3.07, but now it only has a SALT score of 2.5. It moved from second place on the previous list to 10th place now here. So is this, does this mean that people are getting more comfortable with the ideas of mass land destruction he asks, totally knowing that that's not the case. <laughs> that was me just voting
0: zero on Armageddon a lot of times.
1: <laughs> I think actually what has happened is that the community has gotten the message that Armageddon is just a miserable and unfun card. One of the things is that, like, we've discussed with the RC and the CAG doing things like having exemplar bannings, like ban this one card to represent this category. We all know that that doesn't mm-hmm. work, that you like, because most people are just going to look at the list and say, this card's not banned. All right, I can play it. But Armageddon is one of those cards where we use it as like an, uh, a pole star for like, this is the type of card we don't want to see you play. We know you can. If you've got it, go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. But really, I wish you would think about it before you put it in your deck. And I think a lot of people in the community are starting to understand that Armageddon is just not a fun card. Like, I remember I played a game once against somebody who uh, built a deck where it was like Elspeth. Elspeth goes and uh, does her... Um, ultimate everything is indestructible armageddon and you're like well mm. that was not fun yeah and i hope i never see you again mr person i met at a gp
2: <laughs> yeah those those are kind of uncomfortable and i do hope that that's the case that folks are sort of uh cluing on like there is of course always the argument that you know this is one of the ways that white can wield a bit more uh, power than it normally has sure. in the games of commander but at the same time is that the power like, you want exactly exactly i like that that was well phrased um there are some cards that dropped out of the top 10 uh previously that i think we should probably remark on here obviously cards that were banned like iona shield of america no longer show up in the salt list um but weirdly time stretch also fell out of the top 10 it moved from eighth place to 23rd place its alt score moving from 2.75 to 2.3 that i find very very interesting
0: i think that might be a case of just time stretch not getting played near as much Um, i think the numbers haven't really grown quite like some of the other cards that are in the list now, especially Expropriate um, had the mystery boosters, so I'm sure people just see in the wild Expropriate more often than they see Time Stretch. Mm -hmm. Plus, some of the commanders that abuse Time Stretch Uh, like Narset and Light and Master that just is able to cast all sorts of free spells. I haven't, I can't tell you the last time that I saw a Narset deck out in the wild. Um, So, you know, when commanders that were popular or using some of these cards uh, kind of fade out, I'm sure some of the cards that they made people think of more kind of get pushed in the back of memory and, you know, see lower scores as a result.
2: So, Matt, it's funny that you mentioned Narset there, because while we're going through this, we can also remark upon some of the saltiest commanders that show oh, up on this list, too. I did that Dana, on you, purpose. <laughs> Dana, do you want to walk us through some of those? What are some of the legendary creatures that show up on our salt list?
3: Um, you know, right away, the the Praetors that we've already talked about a ton, Vorinclex, mm-hmm. Kleks, and Um, they don't have a ton of decks. They're floating around 100 or so each. Um but they are ones people definitely don't like to see as a commander, just as much as they don't like to see them actually in a deck. Mm-hmm. And then we go to things like Urza, Lord High Artificer, which is just a super, super, super strong commander as well. And I think that maybe kind of puts people off Urza. It's it's strong and it's new enough that people are probably cracking them in packs. or saw a lot of them in stores. And I think it's that's kind of the opposite situation where maybe Armageddon fell on our list a little bit because people weren't playing it. I would bet there's a little bit of extra salt for Urza because you saw a lot of Urzas in the last year or so.
1: Well, Urza was a new hotness for Modern Horizons. Everybody was super excited to try it out. Yep. The card is super powerful. Everybody wants to play the powerful card. It's just, I think a lot of people have learned that Urza is not that fun, right? Like. I, I think one of the reasons, for instance, that Geddon dropped out and that Narsa dropped out is because people have realized that this is just not a, f- I mean, even for the like, more competitive minded people, it's just not a fun game- way to play the game. Like, it, th- it th- th- very- that does one thing.
2: Yeah, it's a very monolithic strategy for sure. And and you mentioned that Narset dropped a bit, but didn't drop too far, actually. We do have a couple of other uh, salty commanders that are actually still holdovers from the previous list. The most salt-inducing legendary creatures that we see are still Sen Triplets, Narset Enlightened Master, and Grand Arbiter with a salt score of 2.4, 2.3, and 2.3. And those are basically the same as it was on the previous list. So those are still some commanders that people are a little less comfortable seeing across the table, especially that, uh, that Sen Triplets there that steal stuff and the Grand Arbiter that says you don't get to cast things the way that you thought that you could and Narset which is like I get to play all the magic and yeah yeah there's (laughs) there's still some salt inducing commanders there and it's funny to see that Urza's the only newcomer on that list I think a lot of the other stuff has kind of stayed the same but Urza has definitely uh sort of topped those charts while the rest has kind of uh stayed as it was
1: poor Oloro r.i.p <laughs> i mean it's, it's one thing that gets me is that when you look at a lot of these lists you see like how the trends of time have gone by like i think a long time ago maybe like three four five years ago dead eye navigator would have been near the top of assault score list
3: yeah nowadays
1: mm. if you see it on play at all it's like just super unusual and very rare to it's like oh i forgot to take this out of my deck it's just still here you know <laughs>
3: Yeah, I can't think of the last time I've actually seen a Dead Eye Navigator cast in a game. It's been probably years.
0: Yeah, I I do agree. That's kind of a card that, I don't even know if it's been power crept, but it's just been efficiency crept out of the format. Like six mana for something that doesn't win you the game anymore.
3: I think it's one of those One of those primal surge things, too, a little bit, where like you do it that one time, and you're like, okay, I did it a couple times, I've accomplished that thing, and it's repetitive, I just don't want to do it again.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's something that is kind of strange to me to see when we're looking through all of the Salt uh, cards on our new list. We don't see too many combo cards on the list like Dead A Navigator. In fact, I think... The, the, the highest card on the list that I'd feel comfortable calling an objectively combo card is probably like Thassa's Oracle, which only it's in like 37th place if I'm counting correctly. Um... Like, there's not a lot of combo that is represented on the salt scores. But more than that, we don't see too many chaos effects among the salt scores either. And that is something that I probably should have mentioned earlier. If someone plays like a planar chaos and then everything's happening at random and we have to flip coins to resolve our spells and the targets are reselected strangely with different chaos Mm. cards. That is something that does kind of get me a little bit grumbly. But we don't see a lot of that on the salt list either. See, I have the same
0: feelings about Warp World and other type of cards as Shivam does about Iona. I just, (laughs) I, the, like Shivam said, a lot of people have very limited times to play. Uh, So when you spend a a significant portion of that gameplay time resolving one spell, um, that to me is not an enjoyable experience. And, and I think yeah, like we said, it's it's almost inconsiderate of other people's time by spending so much. You know, trying to resolve some of those types of spells. So chaos for me, um, I know when I was doing some scores, any chaos card was an auto four for me.
3: <laughs> well, I think part of the thing with chaos too is I think mean, like, like, if you're a dedicated chaos player, you generally because your ankle brace foot can't leave your house to go to the shop <laughs> wow. to play. So that probably really like cuts on how often you see those kind of decks too out in the wild. I
1: mean, wow. look, I like the occasional Chaos card, I like the occasional Chaos game, but I tend to go into those games knowing that they exist and knowing that yes. they're coming. Like, we sit down and the player's like, yo, I'm bringing my Chaos deck. At least then, if we're you know primed for it, then it's fun and you expect it. And right. you ha- I think that the reason you don't see those co- cards show up more on the high scores is because of the fact that... The fun stories that they do generate when well, they generate them balance out the irritation that comes. I'm not saying that they're not like irritating because, by God, sometimes they are, but sometimes they're just like, like stolen strategy or itali or something like that. They're hilarious and do really cool things. Okay, maybe you don't want to use Pixas of Pandemonium every game, or maybe you don't want to use a goblin game. God, but. Um, <sighs> I mean, uh.
3: no, that's a, that's a great point though. Like I've had those games that dis, you know, despite my comments on chaos, I've absolutely sat down with a chaos game where someone said, Hey, let's play this crazy chaos deck of mine. And I've been like, sure. I'm in the mood for that. I've never had someone say, Hey, let's play this fun land destruction deck of mine. This would be a good
1: time. <laughs> uh, that's never occurred. Feel, you know what I'm in the mood for? Stacks. Right.
2: (laughs) this fun stacks experience for the whole family. Uh, Here's another big jump that I noticed also looking through these, comparing the old list to the new. This is outside the top 10, um, but it is pretty interesting to me. The card Mindslaver moved from 25th place to 15th place. And I think that's pretty fascinating because Mindslaver is, of course, the artifact that lets you steal control of another player's turn. Do you think that that might be something that maybe is uh, starting to bother people a little bit more? Do you think that that might be why that uh, change was motivated there? Or do you think that that's probably not too
3: big of a worry? What do you guys think? Well, I think it's definitely way more salt-inducing right now over webcam than it would have been this time last year. Mm. Well, there's that.
1: <laughs> I hate Mindslaver. And especially the fact that it's never just Mindslaver. It's a Mindslaver loop that locks out right. everybody forever. If it's a one and done, whatever, I'm fine. I, I don't like it, but I'll deal. But it's never. It's always just... Fine, you put Mindslaver out, I'm just going to, if I don't have a way to exile it right now, I'm just going to quit because I don't want to deal with it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's another card that we kind of ruminated on with Muldrotha being so popular. Having played a Moldrotha mm-hmm. deck with Mindslaver in there, that was always the artifact you wanted to recur as long as you had the mana. So that doesn't surprise me that Mindslaver has moved up as Moldrotha has gotten popular over the years too. Well, and, and I guess the the last observation that I kind of had about this, Joey, you said you're you're kind of surprised not to see too many combo pieces on the list. Um, Thassa's Oracle kind of being the highest, with as much as a lot of the more casual circles and in, in conversations that I have. Lab Man is one of the most common cards that were kind of like, oh, my gosh, this is such an eye roll type of way to win. Um, So Laboratory Maniac not really showing up much, if at all. That really surprised me because I know if there is one card as far as just what you can kind of combo in and, and gets a lot of eye rolls laboratory maniac would definitely be the card that I would have expected to show up a lot higher than it is
1: Yeah, I mean, let's be real lab man is one of those cards that is a very much a cdh card and with lab man and Thassa's oracle It's like one of those irritating combos But I think that with flash having been banned I don't think that lab man is quite so bad because i've been talking to a lot of my cohorts in the A lot of my companions, I guess in the cdh community and basically Ever since we banned Flash, because of the meta, it's like balanced out quite a bit. Labman is not nearly as irritating as it once was. I,
2: I think another piece of it too is that Labman definitionally closes the game out as opposed to so many of the other right. cards that yeah. we discussed that prolong it. They increase the distance between lockdown and victory. Whereas Labman's just like, you know what? At least it's finally over. And that might be another important thing.
1: Yeah, Labman is definitely like, okay, the game's done. Shuffle ups are over, but...
2: Yeah, yeah so that can be, uh, you know, a little like, ah, well, but at the same time, I do prefer that to, uh, you know, the, the prolonged game. So that's probably one of the reasons that we're seeing um, lower scores for those cards. And I, I would have to agree with that too. I don't think that those would make me nearly as salty compared to someone Armageddoning me or, or, or some such like that. Uh we've talked a lot about some salty cards that we are kind of like, ah, you know, these are some things that maybe make the game feel like it's oh fun is now zero sum, and it's just like, ah, this kind of makes it a little bit less fun to play. But man, I want to end on a positive note. So how about we talk about instead of a salt list? Guys, what are what are some cards on your sugar list? Like, what are some cards that you are so excited to see across the table? When someone else plays it, you get really happy about it and the game is invigorated. What are some cards on your sugar list?
3: Well, I, I can go first here, Joey, but first I will throw this brief caveat out here. If any of these salt cards we talked about are cards that you enjoy playing and the people you're playing with right. enjoy playing against them, that's great. Like this, this isn't to say those can't be fun in certain circumstances and certain play groups. Um, whatever, they absolutely can be. And if people you're playing with enjoy them, by all means, keep playing them. They're just the cards that, by and large, the average person isn't going to enjoy playing against, as we can see from these rankings. Yeah,
1: we're, we're given the data. Do with it what you will. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a caveat I should have made from the top. I'm speaking for myself, not necessarily for the CAG or the rules committee. And also, I'm not here to judge your table. I'm not going to come in and tell you what to play or not to play. I'm just sharing my philosophy as a casual, focused player. There's a lot of people who do like playing hyper-competitive EDH with super strong cards and stacks the elements and things like that, lockdown, because there's a lot of strategy and tactics involved in getting out from underneath the lockdown, and that's really... Really enjoyable for a certain caliber of player i appreciate that you i'm just yeah. not one of them
3: <laughs> yeah i there mean yeah. if you like yeah. stasis or you like pineapple on your pizza there's room in the world for all of us <laughs> <laughs> well and, and it kind of just always goes back to the social aspect of the format
0: too is finding out what works for your play group and how to navigate that so yeah if if your play group is is cool with a lot of these cards do it. I mean, we're just kind of like we said, reporting what we see and then trying to pass it on, helping equip people. Uh, when you know magic fests ever do happen again, um, what you can expect if you sit down with with strangers.
2: Yeah, there you go. All right, let's get to that sugar list now. Dana, you said that you had a card for it.
3: What I have one that I, I always love seeing, and that's disrupt decorum. That's a, a gold <laughs> card that just forces people to not sh- not hide behind their shell. You just have to start swinging. It's a party grenade. It's a grenade that someone has thrown into their room that's going to explode confetti somewhere, but you don't know where. Something interesting is going to happen. It's going to shake up the game in some way, shape, or form. Um, it, it's chaos, but it's kind of controlled chaos to a degree. It feels strategic um, in a way that I, I think a lot of chaos cards don't. Something interesting will always happen and it will break open games that get a little bit stagnant as well. It's just one of those cards that always feels welcome, even if I'm the person stuck trying to figure out how to not leave myself open, because it also adds some strategy. You have to then f- figure out how to play through those pieces, and you can. There are things you can do to you know get around having to swing in wildly. It's it's a really fun card in a bunch of different ways, and I'm always glad to see it. Alright, Shivam, what about you? What's a card that when you see it across the table,
2: it makes you go, oh yeah! What, what are some excitement inducing cards instead of salt inducing cards
1: i will be honest one of my favorite cards to see is always villainous wealth just because i love to see somebody target a deck just flip over the table and see all the crazy stuff that comes out it's like just it's never a bad time when somebody cracks up in a villainous wealth and just weird things start to happen.
2: That is a uh, really great, and I have to jump in now since you mentioned villainous wealth. One of my favorite cards to see in any game of EDH. Um, I have a story related to villainous wealth because my favorite here is Pyroblast, a one mana instant that can counter target spell if it's blue or destroy target permanent if it's blue. <laughs> and um, once on our stream, which is Twitch.tv, uh, Twitch, <laughs> Twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast. Thank you, Matt. You're the one who always plugs it. I'm bad at this. Uh, so once on our stream, we had Sheldon Menry, you know, grandfather of the format. It's it's really, really great. And he played a villainous wealth for, I think it was like 10 or 13 or something. And I had that pyroblast waiting and it was delicious. But then one more time, I played against him on Olivia Gobert Hicks stream and he played his Muldrotha and I got to destroy his Muldrotha with a pyroblast too. It was a, a wonderful day of streaming and... I, I, everyone enjoyed that. It was one of those. Everyone liked that kind of situations, including Sheldon himself. This is a very unexpected, weird counter spell that you don't usually see from like a mono red deck or a Rakdos deck, and it throws everything for a loop. So I really, really love seeing Pyroblast, and I also like playing the Pyroblasts myself too.
0: Yeah, well, and if I can say like different types of cards and that I, I like seeing in people play, it's just high risk, high reward type of cards. Like you, you gotta put everything out there, and it's kind of risky to play. But if it works, then it's it's awesome to see happen. Um, sometimes those are some alternate win condition cards. Like if you have exactly one life at the beginning of your upkeep, you win. When you're so fragile, like you have to manage a way to uh, survive long enough for that to happen. Um, or just some cards like Divine Intervention. Like it's such a... It feels weird to have nobody actually win, but it's such a moral victory for that one person. So sometimes alternate win conditions that aren't Laboratory Maniac, they're kind of fun to watch go off because there was so
2: much that went into it. I I really like that. The alt win cons can especially be really great. Um, I'm realizing here, though, that I actually completely forgot to mention something. This is definitely um, something totally wrong with the list. We might have to redo all of the voting on this because... Cards like Rest in Peace and Relic of Progenitus didn't show up as 4.0 on the salt scale Um, in those exile graveyards, which is completely unacceptable and ruins everyone's time. So um, those are the most salt-inducing cards for sure, is the the cards that exile. Well, Joey, that again
0: was me. I spent three and a half days voting just so I could see Rest in Peace enough to vote zero. I was really dedicated, and I'm kind of upset that you aren't on my level of dedication.
2: Oh, uh, man, that's so good. Anyway, uh, I think what we ought to do after we've been talking about all of these cards that are uh, really salty, but also really sugary, um, what I think we need to do is call this episode to a close. And especially, Shifam, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been a really wonderful time having you.
1: Please let listeners know where they can find you and all the content that you're making. Thank you so much. I I love coming here. I mean, this has been fantastic. Thank you all at the Edrec community. Um, I can be found at GearBuryGears on Twitter. I can be found at CasualMagic on Spotify and Apple iTunes and what have you. And you can find links from my Twitter feed. I'm also a member of the CAG. Um, I respond basically to all tweets. I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm happy to take any concerns you have to the rules committee. That's kind of what I'm here to do. Uh,
2: yeah. Awesome stuff. And Dana and Matt, if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5.
0: And as always, Wednesday evenings around 7 p.m. Mountain Time, uh, EDH Recast. We are streaming twitch.tv slash
3: EDH Recast. You're much better at pronouncing that than I am. And Dana? You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can read my articles a couple times a month on EDH Rec. And you can hear my other podcasts uh, once or twice a week at CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can
2: find me at Joseph M Schultz on Twitter and you can find the cast at edhretcast on Facebook or on Twitter. And if you have a question, a keen insight to EDHREC's data or maybe a challenge the stats pick that you think that we ought to know about, you can contact us at edhretcast at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And of course, we have to give a huge thank you to our sponsors for the show, TCGplayer and CardKingdom.com. Again, you can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting slash. EDH Rack, and that shows your support for the show. Listeners, we would love to know what are the cards that make you the saltiest, but also what are some of the cards that you would put on your sugar list as well? We would love to hear from you. We will be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember EDH, wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.